So I'm uh, thinking about David this morning and the ups and downs in David's life. And um, I'm, re- I'm reminded of Psalm 42 where he's, uh, he talks about, this is all in one, you know, one uh, uh, chapter of Psalm. Um, and he says that, uh, I remember when I used to go up to the house of the Lord. I remember how happy I was when I used to go up to the house of the Lord. And then he switches, and about two verses later, he says, why are you downcast, O my soul? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's going on with you? He's talking to himself. Now, we do that today. You know, they think that we need a psychiatrist or something. But, I mean, David is like visiting with himself. He says, I remember those days when I used to go up, and I used to lead the festive procession as we used to go up to the house of the Lord. And he says, now I find myself in that place where I, you know, I'm down in the bottom from the mountain to the valley. And so I want to look at uh, the... Uh, the life of Solomon is an example this morning, the son of David, and we're going to pick up in 1 Kings chapter 10. I have this on the overhead. You can follow me on your, in your Bible, your iPhone, your pad, however, please follow me. Uh, the queen of Sheba, uh, which was about, she, she was the queen of Ethiopia. She, she traveled some 1,400 miles in those days. Now think about it, you could average travel was probably about 20 miles a day, you can do the math. It took her a long time, but she had heard about the fame and the wisdom of Solomon, and she had to go and see for herself. And so we pick up, it says, the queen of Sheba had heard about the fame of Solomon, his relationship to the Lord, and she came to test Solomon with some hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with very great caravan with camels carrying spices and large quantities of gold and precious stone. She came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. And Solomon answered all of her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba saw all of the wisdom of Solomon and the palace that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers, the Uh, burnt offerings that he had made at the temple of the Lord. She was overwhelmed, and she said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel because the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. And then we go on to read about some of the achievements that Solomon had and made It says the weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents. That's 25 tons of gold at $1,000 an ounce. I mean, somebody might want to do the math on that, but I want to tell you that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money that he received. It says Solomon also accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots 
and 12,000 horses. We have two horses, and they're a problem. <laughs> he had 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities uh, and also with him in Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. He had... I was going to ask this question, but I'll wait till I read this next verse. Uh, he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. How many of you want to be like Solomon? Really, just go ahead. Just, you can tell me. Mostly men that are raising their hands. <laughs> um, but something happened in Solomon's life, and he went through what we would call a midlife crisis. And he writes about this in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes. He said, uh, you know, I thought education was the answer, so, you know, I read all the books that I could, learned as much as I could, and that left me empty. He thought, you know, having a great career was an answer, so he became the king. Can't get any higher than that, but he said that even that left him empty. He thought that, you know, gaining money riches and wealth was the answer, so he applies himself to that, and he says that that left him empty. Um, he thought becoming, be, becoming popular was the answer to happiness in life, but we see the Queen of Sheba come, and you know, as you read the rest of that chapter, it says that kings and queens from all over the world came to you know, have an audience with him, but he said that that left him empty as well. And so then he tried, you know, fun and parties, and, you know, that left him empty. He was not satisfied with that. He said all of these things are, are vanity, and none of these things really satisfy. And then we read in the next chapter, that was chapter 10 that we read earlier of 1 Kings. Now we're going to read chapter, a portion of chapter 11. It says that King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughters, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonites, the Hittites, and they were from the nations about which the Lord specifically had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them. But we read that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And it says, you should not marry with them, he says, because they will surely turn your heart after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. And as I said earlier, he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wife and his wives led him astray. And as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He had followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, uh, Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites, and Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. And the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. And so, my, my, my thought today and my question is today, and I'll give you the answer in just a moment. 
but how do you stay on track? You know, all of us have been there. We, I mean, we can relate to this story because we've done these things. We've been on the mountaintop where we've been incredibly excited and passionate about God, and then all of a sudden, you know, life throws us a curveball or we get busy in life, and, you know, the next thing we know is that we've forgotten God. And, uh, you know, our life takes a downward, uh, we enter that downward spiral. And so here are some of the warnings that, uh, you know, I, I want to tell you that they're, they're passion thieves. This is what will take away your passion. This is what will steal your passion from uh, being, you know, wholehearted, as the word said, uh, if God said to David or to, uh, to Solomon about his father, David, he said, you know, you're not, you don't follow me like your father David did. He wholly followed me with a devoted heart, and your heart has been turned away from me. And so one of the things that can do this to you is an unbalanced life. This means that you're either overworked or you're underworked. And, um, you know, there's a rhythm to life. And if, you're, if you work too much, you'll get out of balance. And if you don't work enough, you'll be out of balance with your life. You need both rest and you need work. Um, the psalmist says in Psalm 127, it's senseless for you to work so hard from early in the morning to late at night, fearing that you're going to starve to death, for God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. And so, you know, God is about you having peace. God wants you to have peace in your, in your mind, and your heart. He wants you to be at peace with one another, and he doesn't want you to spend and dedicate all of your life. I mean, some, some men, I mean, this is a, a, a problem probably more with men than it is with women, but dedicating themselves to the work and wholly selling themselves into the work, they have no time for their wives or their children or church or fellowship. You know, these things are not important. Just making more money is what's important to them. And this is harmful, the Bible says, and it will... It will uh, kill or steal or rob you of the passion that you have for God. A buried talent. Remember what Jesus said about the man that he had given five talents to one man, two talents to another, one to the other. The guy that had the one talent went out and buried it. And uh, the Lord says at least you should have put that talent, you know, to, uh, to work, you know, for my benefit. I could have gained interest uh, out of it. And so the Bible says that each one of us, uh, this is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you have been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others. Notice that. Your gift has been given to you to be used in the service to others, to the church. And so he goes on to say, so use your gift well. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. And then um, an unconfessed sin. You know, we see and we hear, you know, it's like, why should I care? I mean, why should I care, uh, you know, about, uh, you know, God? Uh, why should I care about being righteous before God? You know, my neighbor doesn't care. My friends don't care. Some of my, you know, family doesn't care. You know, really the world, in the most part, doesn't care about following God or, or being righteous. So why should I care? I mean, the reason that you should care is that, you know, that, that God has made a place for you. And that place is called heaven. And heaven is a perfect place. And we are imperfect people. And if God were to allow you and I to go, I mean, I mean, just think about it. Why would God, I mean, just why would you and God himself, why would he allow someone that has hated 
hated him all of their life. All of their life, they've despised God and rejected God, wanted nothing to do with church or fellowship or worship or praise or reading their Bible or attending church or, or, or meeting with Christians, wanted nothing to do with, with that. You know, for you, going to heaven would be going, like going to hell. I mean, you would hate it because it's not what you liked here on earth. And, and so, you know, God, God has created heaven as this perfect place, and, and we are imperfect people, so that's why the Bible says that you and I need to be born again. We need to be changed. And the Bible says that God has taken Jesus in uh, 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 5, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, taken Jesus, it says that he that knew no sin, talking about Jesus, was made to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God, that we might receive the righteousness of God. And so really what, it, what it's saying is that God has taken, on, taken Jesus and taken all of my sin and all of your sin, all my yesterday's sin and all of your yesterday's sin, all of my today's sin and all of my tomorrow's sin, and placed it on Jesus and taken all of his righteousness and placed it on us. It's called the great exchange. And God is saying that, you know, that when you have sin in your life that you're not concerned about, if you just say that, well, my neighbor's doing it, my friends are doing it, everybody's doing it, why can't I do it? You know, that sin in your life will rob you and steal and take away the passion that you should have for God. Uh, the Bible says that uh, in in and, and it's kind of like, you know, subconsciously, we don't really recognize it right away. You know, the Bible does, does talk about how sin seems pleasurable for a season. But after that season, you enter into it and you think, oh, this is great, this is fun. Nobody's really watching. Nobody knows what I'm doing. I'm getting away with this. But then all of a sudden, you know, I, and I can't tell you how many times as a pastor that someone has come to me and, you know, they have to share with me what they've done. And um, the guilt and the shame. Now, this is what we don't understand. When we walk into sin, oh, it seems pleasurable, okay. But when you walk into sin after a while, it catches up with you. And the guilt and the shame. You know, I mean, I've had men tell me that, you know, just like, you know, my wife and I got into bed, and I just broke down. I just couldn't, couldn't contain myself. I just started crying. Or a woman will say the same thing. I just started crying. I just couldn't contain myself. And it's guilt and shame as a result of the sin that you thought you were hiding begins to surface. And that guilt and that shame will rob you of the passion that you should have for God. Listen to what David said in Psalm 38. He says, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear, and I am bowed down, and I am brought low because of the sin that I tried to hide. Now Moses told the children of, of Israel, he said, you can sin. He said, you can sin all right. But he said, and you can try to hide it. He said, but your sin will eventually find you out. And I'm with sin, while it may seem pleasurable up front and at first, you know, eventually 
the guilt and the shame will catch up with you, and it's more than you can bear, and you've got to get it out. You've got to confess it. You know, how burdened, how heavy, how heavy laden I was until I confessed my sin and, and Jesus set me free. And then, you know, uh, the fourth thing that is a passion killer is a life of conflict. And, you know, uh, every day, you know, we jump out of bed. We, you know, I mean, we're ready to take on the world. We're ready to tackle the world. We're excited about life. You know, you get to work, and all of a sudden, here comes conflict. And all of us have to deal with this. Conflict is something that every one of us will have to deal with in life. And, you know, it could be at home, it could be at work, it could be at school. And um, one of the things that it does, you cannot control what is coming your way, but what you can control is how you react to it. You can react to this in anger or bitterness or jealousy or envy. All of these things are within your control. You can't, you know, you can't control what other people do to you. But what you can control is your actions. You, can't, you, you can control your action. Listen to what Job says. Resentment. You know, if you have resentment, if you're jealous, if you got this anger that's going on, if you've got unforgiveness in your life that's going on, these are things that you can control. And in Job chapter 5, he says, resentment destroys the fool and jealousy kills the simple. Resentment destroys the fool and jealousy kills. You hear that? And then Job 18, he says, you're only hurting yourself with your anger. You're only hurting yourself. I mean, you can have people that, uh, that, that, are, that you're mad at or you're angry at or you're jealous of or that you have something against, and they don't even have a clue. They don't have a clue that you're upset with them or you're you're angry with them or you're bitter toward them because you're keeping this inside and it will eventually destroy you. And then another passion killer, like Solomon. What, I mean, I think about this great, great, great man of God that the entire world was coming to see. And then, you know, in the eyes of the world, he had it all. But in the eyes of God, you know, he's saying, Solomon, you know, your heart has left me. You've departed from me. Where's the love? Where's the passion that used to have for me? So um, sometimes we lose passion for God because we don't spend enough time around godly people. I, Ecclesiastes, this is another book that Solomon uh, wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, two are better than one because if one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help us up. Uh, Greg Laurie, a number of years ago, did an interview with him one of the contestants on the show, uh, The Survivor. And this person was a Christian. And they were asked, you, you were allowed when you went to this place, wherever they went to an island or into the jungle, they could take five things with them. And this one girl, the one of the things that she wanted to take with her was a Bible. And uh, the judges said that she couldn't do that because somebody previously, one of the previous contestants had done that. And so she didn't take it with her. And then she said that she noticed that while she was on the island that, uh, that her whole attitude about life became, uh, you know, began to change. That she became bitter and her language changed and, uh, and she, became, be, uh, she was offended uh, uh, more easily. 
And everything just began to crumble because she didn't have the word of God and she wasn't around Christians for that support. And then after, after the, contestant, uh, the contest was over, you know, she said that uh, she just really didn't realize how weak she was and the strength and support that she had from you know, reading the word of God and from being around other believers. The number six one is what I call blowing in the wind. Some of you will remember the old Dylan song. Uh, it's like an uncharted course. It's just kind of like you're just aimlessly going through life that, you know, you know, I mean, you have no, no reason, no purpose. You know, if you lose your vision for what God has created you for, remember that you were, you were created by God and for God. You were created by God and for God. And if you lose sight of that vision, it will destroy your passion that you have. And you're just kind of aimlessly going through life. Listen to what Isaiah said. He said, I've labored to no purpose. I've spent my strength in vain and for nothing. All of this for nothing. I, all of this I've worked for. I was uh, uh, kind of like sidetracked every once in a while. You'll take a, a rabbit trail, and I took one as I was looking up this passage of Scripture. But I remembered people like Michael Jackson or recently, you know, Prince who died of a drug overdose or Elvis Presley who died of a drug overdose. These are people that we know in our generation and and uh, earlier generations and older generations. You know, all of us know someone very famous, very rich, that had it all. And some of the comments that some of these men made were saying that they, were the, they felt like they were the most miserable person on the face of the earth. They had it all, all the wealth, all the fame, all the popularity. Everybody wanted to be like them, but no one knew what was going on inside. They were miserable inside because they had no purpose for life. And, uh, you know, I think it was uh, Napoleon after, at a very young age, after he had conquered the entire world, was just frustrated and entered into this place of depression because there was nothing left for him to do. He had, he had achieved the height of his uh, goal and uh, all of his achievements and all of his desires had been met and he had fallen into this place of depression. You know, if you're living through life without knowing God, without knowing what God has called you for, remember that you were created by God and for God. And God didn't create you just to, you know, be a, uh, a bench warmer on Sunday morning. He gave you gifts and talents, and he expects you, like, you know, the men said about Paul and Silas, these two men have turned the world upside down. And that's what God expects of you and me, to turn the world upside down because of what Jesus has done in our life. And the uh, seventh thing that will kill your passion is that, you know, is that a famished spirit, that, you, you know, you've got to have a relationship. You've got, to, you've got to nourish your spirit. I mean, when you were a baby, your mother fed you, but now that you're old, you know, you've got to feed yourself. And the same is true spiritually. You've got to, you know, you have got to have this time every day. And let me just kind of go through these quickly. Every day, you need to get up and you need to worship God. As soon as you, I mean, you know, a lot of times, and, I'm, and this is just me, and I'm not putting this on you, but I'm just telling you it's important for you and I to do. But a lot of times, my feet never hit the floor in the morning. I will roll out of bed to my knees. And just from right there, just from the edge of my bed on my knees, I begin to bless God and praise God and thank God. 
Every day, this is what David said. He said in Psalm 145, Every day I will bless and praise your name forever and ever. It's something that we were created to, to bless God and to worship Him and to praise Him and to exalt His name and to be excited about Him. It says, you know, the next thing is that you need to have fellowship with believers. Now, this is from the message translation, and I love this. It says, let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging and love and helping out, uh, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on. And the King James, I think it translates something like this. Let us not, let us not neglect or let us, uh, yeah, let us not neglect the fellowship of one another or the meeting together of one another. Every day you get up. Now this is how, this is the antidote to the seven things that I just gave you. Worshiping God and uh, fellowshipping with believers. Every day you need to get up and you need to read God's Word. I was telling someone the other night, I said, you know, if you just give, there's 1,440 minutes in a day, all right? I'm just saying, if you, if you would just spend 10 minutes, 10 minutes, you know, you got 1,430 minutes all by yourself. If you would spend 10 minutes a day alone with God, reading God's Word, I'm going to tell you that in a period of time, your life will change. You know, uh, David said it is the imparting of the Word, the Word, the Word of God. How shall a young man keep his way clean? By taking heed to, to the Word of God. I mean, the Bible speaks so much. Thy Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. All of these things speak to the importance of us reading God's Word every day. He goes on to say, he says, These words that I speak to you, are not incidental additions to your life, home, homeowner improvements to your standards of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter that has built his house on a solid rock, rain poured down, the rivers flooded, a tornado hit it, but nothing moved that house. And if you build your life upon the Word of God, I'm telling you, I think it's Psalm 112. It says that a righteous man will not fear an evil report. He won't fear it because he knows his God, he trusts in his God, and he has no fear when, when evil comes against him or an evil report comes to him, he has no fear. He's just like, okay, God, I don't know how you're going to get me through this. I don't know how you're going to get me through this financial mess. I don't know how you're going to get me through this marital mess. I don't know how you're going to get me through this mess at my job. I don't know how you're going to get me through these students and these, other, and these teachers and the problems that I'm having at school. I don't know how you're going to do it, but God, I'm standing firm on the rock, the solid rock of God, that you are going to do something. You are going to move on my behalf. Your word says that I will not neglect the cry of the afflicted. I will hear their cry and I will move on their behalf. That's a good word for you this morning. Amen? All right, two more. Um, you need to be involved in ministry. And this is another one of the antidotes to, you know, not allowing the world or the flesh or the devil to dampen your passion for God or your own flesh. It says that, uh, therefore, my, dearly, uh, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. 
Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. You hear that? Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. If you're doing that, you're going to be passionate about God. He's going to be excited about God. And finally, the last thing is that all of us need to share our faith. You know, and I, I know that sometimes that's a little difficult for us to do. I mean, we, we, we feel like, especially in the pressure of the time that we live in about being p- politically correct at work or in the marketplace, you know, we don't want to say the wrong thing. But this is what the psalmist said. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the people, for great is the Lord and most worthy to be praised. See, uh, each of us need to be able to tell somebody about the great things that God has done in our life. And if you're a believer, you know, you have moved from a place of death to life. You've moved from a place from death to abundant life. And you need to be able to tell people. And, you know, eventually, all of us have a story. Every one of you have a story something that God has done in your life. And your story is unique and different. And it's going to be easy for you because some, at some point in your life, you're going, to, you're going to come across somebody that was a drug addict or an alcoholic or you know, involved in pornography or had this incredible hatred or bitterness or unforgiveness towards someone. That you know, The things that you've experienced, and you're going to be able to say, you know what, I used to be just like that. I used to be just like that. And I tried, you know, positive thinking. I tried all of these things, and nothing worked until I came to Jesus. And when Jesus came into my life with his power and the power of the Holy Spirit, I changed, and God changed me. And now I'm set free. And that is part of the word of God that it says that he came to set free.